0: In this beautiful setting in uh, one of the most wonderful, blessed places in Cairo, right next to the Mosque of Imam Hussein. And we have Guy Ogilvie joining us again for what will probably be our final session on the Surah Al Kaf. We also have Muhammad Farooq joining us again, as we had last time, and we have two guests, Shadia and Farah, who we may invite at the end of the session to ask some questions. So what I am going to do, we stopped last time when Moses and his page, his Fatah, had found Al-Khidr, and I am going to continue to read, and this is from verse 65. Then they found one of our slaves, unto whom we had given mercy from us, and had taught him knowledge from our presence. Moses said to him, May I follow thee, that thou mayst teach me right conduct of that which thou hast been taught. He said, Lo, thou canst not bear with me. How canst thou bear with that whereof thou canst not compass any knowledge? He said, God willing, thou shalt find me patient, and I shall not in aught gainsay thee. He said, Well, if thou go with me, ask me not concerning anything, till I myself make mention of it unto thee. So they set out. Till, when they were in the ship, he made a hole therein. Moses said, Hast thou made a hole therein to drown the folk thereof? Thou verily hast done a dreadful thing. He said, Did I not tell thee that thou couldst not bear with me? Moses said, Be not angry with me that I forgot, and be not hard upon me for my fault. So they journeyed on till when they met a lad he slew. Moses said, What, hast thou slain an innocent soul who hath slain no man? Verily thou hast done a horrid thing. He said, Did I not tell thee that thou couldst not bear with me? Moses said, If I ask thee after this concerning anything, keep not company with me. Thou hast received an excuse from me. So they journeyed on, till when they came unto the folk of a certain township, they asked its folk for food, but they refused to make them guests. And they found therein a wall upon the point of falling into ruin. And he repaired it. Moses said, If thou hadst wished, thou couldst have taken payment for it. He said, This is the parting between thee and me. I will announce unto thee the interpretation of that thou couldst not bear with patience. As for the ship, it belonged to poor people working on the river, and I wished to mar it, for there was a king behind them who was taking every ship by force. And as for the lad, his parents were believers, and we feared lest he should oppress them by rebellion and disbelief. And we intended that their Lord should change him for them for one better impurity and nearer to mercy. And as for the wall, it belonged to two orphan boys in the city, and there was beneath it a treasure belonging to them, and their father had been righteous, and thy Lord intended that they should come to their full strength and should bring forth their treasure as a mercy from their Lord. And I did it not upon my own command. Such is the interpretation of that wherewith thou couldst not bear. So that's the end of verse 82. And we'll now go over to Guy and ask him to give us some initial reflections before we
1: go into a discussion. Well. This section that you've just read um, starts with the return to where the fish had disappeared. And in our last last session, we talked about that and the way the fish moved in a marvelous fashion to the point where the two waters uh, met. And there was this idea of this intersection. And now we find that where the fish was. This unnamed personage is there. And all we know about him is that he has great knowledge, which has been vouchsafed to him by God in his presence, which suggests he is a prophet. And traditionally he's associated with the figure of um, Kidr, al kiraf often called the Green Man in Islamic tradition. And the interesting thing about Alkira is he himself is, traditionally, associated with a fish. He is often uh, said to be, he lives in the midst of the ocean on this green island and has the appearance of a fakir dressed in green and moves through the waters with a fish as his vehicle. And uh, Ananda Kumaraswamy has collected uh, lots of the references and the myths and legends about al and related them to um, an Indian character, or his Indian prototype or representation in Indian folklore, um, Hwaja Kadir. And he's associated also with specific waters. He's the guardian of the well at the end of the world, And the well at the end of the world contains the fountain of life. So he's the guardian of the fountain of life. In one early story, which involves uh, Alexander, um, who also appears as a figure of Dupont Len, in the latter part of the Sultan Kaf, With Alexander, he sets out on a quest to find the fountain of life, which bestows immortality. And on the way, Alexander fails to make it. Um, Kirir finds it and drinks from it and becomes immortal. So in Islamic tradition a is himself immortal. And from an alchemical perspective, or shall we say a hermetic perspective, there's much about Kirir in his appearance here in the Quran that reminds of the figure of Hermes Mercury. And the interesting thing is that the fish itself is a symbol also of Mercury as Quicksilver um, in the alchemical work. Mm-hmm. Because of course a silvery fish um, moves like Quicksilver, it is a moving bar of silver. And there's something about the fact that it becomes alive, and there's um, with Mercury it represents the vivifying principle. Mm-hmm. So when it comes to the three principles of soul, spirit and body, Mercury, representing the spirit, is this universal vivifying factor. So it is, in a sense, the um, in a sense it is the water of life. It is that thing which gives life unto things. And when you said hermetic rather than alchemical, what were you implying by that? Well, specifically relating to. Um, Hermes or Hermes Mercury, the character of Hermes, as opposed to purely alchemical, which, because not all alchemical writings are Hermetic, much does come from the writings associated with Hermes, Hermes Trismegistus, to give him his title. And Hermes Trismegistus is a fusion of the Egyptian god Thoth or Tehuti and the Greek um, Hermes, or Mercury as he's known in, in the Latin tradition. And means thrice master. Thrice master or thrice great, and there are many different ways of exploring what the context of that exactly is. Mm-hmm. Um, I want a whole book about what particular aspects he is thrice great of. But he is an interesting, a fascinating character, on the one hand, He represents these two gods from both the Greek and the Egyptian tradition. On the other hand, he is at that interface between myth, legend, and history. We can't pin down a historical living character, but in former times, he was supposed to have lived three times at least. So, in a sense, he's like a Merlin character. Maybe not just one particular personage, but one of a lineage, as it were, of these sages associated with a specific wisdom tradition. And he was considered in the Renaissance to, um, when his works were first discovered and translated into the Latin um, for the first time in the late 15th century, he was believed to be an ancient sage who. May have come before Moses, so it's interesting that he crops up in the Quran, and he is already appears to be an older man than Moses, and in a sense he's senior to Moses because he's got more knowledge than Moses has. In the sort of pro- prophetic hierarchy, we cannot say because um, we don't know exactly who he is. Um, he's associated with this character Akira, but the Quran doesn't actually state that. But in a sense, he's also rather like Idris. Mm who is um, Enoch mm. in the Islamic tradition. And Enoch is associated with Hermes, Trismegistus. Mm. And Enoch is said to have be been one of the incarnations of Hermes. And Enoch in the biblical tradition was one of the very few human beings who didn't die mm. and was assumed up into heaven, mm. uh, where he becomes um, an archangel. Mm. He becomes a mm. metatron. Mm one of the highest angels in the heavens. So it's quite mysterious this personage who appears and he appears where the fish has gone in. It's almost as if the fish has come to life and has gone in and either exchanged itself for the figure of Kedir Mm. or is Kedir transformed or transmuted into apparent human form. And of course here he is and he doesn't seem to have any plan to meet Moses or any plan to show him anything. Because uh, when Moses says, oh, can I follow you, you are clearly a man of great knowledge. He says, forget it. If you stick with me, you're going, to, you're going to try my patience. Because you're going to argue with what I'm doing and I just haven't got time to explain to you. You're just not going to have the understanding to be able to follow. Me. Of course, Moses insists that he will be able to. But then these apparently appalling acts are performed by this character. And Moses is sh- so shocked that on each occasion he goes, Whoa, what on earth are you doing? How can that be right? you s- sunk this ship or you've damaged it to the point where it's likely to sink. And then he kills this boy, having promised that he will know not, he won't complain anymore or interrupt mm-hmm. idea. I um, no, no, I'm sorry, please, please, please. I will withhold all judgment. And then Khadir does something even worse. He murders an apparently innocent boy, and Moses cannot contain himself if he does. Um, and then there are these um, other things, which then Khadir explains at the end. But what we're meant to understand from this is that human knowledge, mortal human knowledge, is inevitably limited. We are unable to see the whole story. We're unable to see the context in which things happen. And so many people, particularly in this modern age, have a real problem with the idea of an all-knowing God. Because they say, how can all these terrible things happen if we have an all-powerful, all-knowing God? And that defeats a lot of people, even some of the most wise and informed people. Um, who know so much about religion, still find, well, I'm sorry, I can't believe in God if God allows evil to happen. So this is a very um, important question, understanding the nature of evil, or the nature of apparently evil, and the necessity of evil, how it is actually inevitable that evil appears down here. And from an alchemical perspective, the idea is that everything down here is in a sense fallen. Not necessarily in a moral sense, but there has been a rending of unity in order to give life the opportunity to happen. So where there was no thing, there becomes one thing. Where there is one thing, that one thing sacrifices itself. We've talked about the, the, the figure one at one um, becoming, or the I, becoming the little eye with the decapitated head, and that represents the sacrifice of the one thing, of life itself, um, the possibility for life, and of course that representing the Yod, the masculine uh, procreating symbol. And so once you have this division from unity, you have separation, you have black and white, you have polar opposites, and love is in a sense down here, defined as the opposite of hate. and Life is the opposite of death, so what we understand as evil is merely um, the opposite of what we understand to be good and true. So, in a sense, you can also see the way things unfold, or apparently unfold, might seem to be appalling, as in Moses' um, encounter with Kidron, or some of the acts that he performs. But if you understand that Everything that happens to every single person is part of an unfolding of a pattern which is of enormous complexity. And if you accept the idea of reincarnation, the idea that the, the soul is reborn many, 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 many times in order to cover this enormous journey from this great separation, in this diversity of the created world, to the unity with the divine, and even enter into that unicity which requires the extermination of a separate identity altogether. So in this enormous journey, all manner of things can happen to us, which may seem absolutely appalling, but in the context of a wider understanding, seeing the whole picture, as Killer explains, then it becomes understandable. Moses goes, ah, I see. So you damage the ship in that way, because there's this king, this pirate king, who is seizing all these ships. So actually, this, by having to repair the ship, they no longer um, sail into trouble as well. Mm. And this reminds, on a certain level, with this um, ancient ch- Chinese story, usually okay. known in the West as the story of the white horse, There's this um, rich farmer, and he's got this beautiful white horse. And he's fortunate to have this wonderful horse, but it's an object of envy amongst his neighbours.
0: Sorry, um, I have to stop you here.
1: Yes, the Arkita story reminds me also of that ancient Chinese story that I only know in a a Western version. Uh, as the white stallion, which a farmer has, and it's the envy of his neighbours. One day the white stallion disappears and his neighbours say, oh, that's such bad luck, and he goes, well, good luck, bad luck, who can tell. And A few days later, the white stallion returns with a bunch of Mm mares, and the neighbours go, wow, that's so lucky, what good fortune, he goes, well, good luck, bad luck, who can tell. And then his son is trying to break one of the mares, who throws him and he breaks his leg, and the neighbours all go, oh, that's so unlucky, he goes, lucky, unlucky, who can tell? War breaks out, the emperor's troops come round to conscript all the young men, and of course Mm. his son is spared because he's got his broken leg. So you get these endless, Mm. what appears to be unfortunate or a misfortune turns out to be good fortune. So again, there's that sense we can never really tell how things are ultimately going to unfold. And of course also in the alchemical work, all kinds of appalling things happen in a sense in terms of breaking down the matter that you're working with and in alchemical symbolism and iconography we have the negrito, for example the blackening which was represented by death and you have putrefaction putrefactio you have dissolutio the dissolution fermentation all these things that the matter is put through before resurrection and everything leading towards the Great mending, the great putting together, the great union of the chemical wedding, and the achieving of the philosopher's stone itself, which transmutes um, the fallen matter into perfect gold. Well, symbolized by perfect gold. But the bottom line, I think, with with all this, is that every single little snapshot in life. We tend to judge as either good, bad, or indifferent, or whatever. But the extraordinary complexity of life, of creation, as it unfolds, we cannot see in just any small moment the greater pattern. Mm. And however distorted one particular moment might appear to be, however apparently ghastly, if we were able to see the overall picture, it's, of course, inevitably beautiful. Um, For those who have faith Mm. and believe that everything is known and everything is understood and everything folds exactly as it should do, and the pattern is like some unimaginably beautiful um, Persian carpet. Mm. That reminds me of what uh, Dr. Leans says about
0: the secret of Shakespeare. Uh, That was the title of his book. I think the Sacred Art of Shakespeare was the very final addition of that book, but at one point the title was The Secret of Shakespeare. And he says, I think it's in the the very last chapter, that Shakespeare's genius resides in this, as well as many other things, that he manages to take the audience, as it were, from the underside of a beautiful carpet, Bring them through the fabric, so that at the end of the play they can see the beauty of the pattern on the surface, which they had only seen previously in chaotic forms with knots here and there and lots of loose threads. These threads, these yes. threads, I don't know, is the, the <laughs> cut ends. That's right. And we can only see that from the underside of the carpet. But by the end of the play, Shakespeare shows us the beauty of the pattern, which was. Obscured simply by virtue of our perspective. Our perspective was limited, constrained, fragmentary, but by the end we all perceived sub specie eternitatis from the point of view of eternity.
1: Well, that exemplifies it beautifully. Yeah. Well, that's a good place to end the session. Thank you very much. Guy. Thank you.